Hello and welcome to another episode of Voices of Sikakwan. This week we'll be listening to Ethel and Lopez, Ray Dukakwa, and Will Ware share their experiences of harvesting with family in Flinka Ani. You're listening to Voices of Sikakwan. I'm Avery Herman Sakamoto, and with harvest season upon us, we'll be listening to stories from Ethelyn Lopez, Ray Dukakwa, and Will Ware about harvesting with family. These are excerpted from the Petersburg Public Library's Listening Project Archive. Our first clip is from a conversation between Ethelyn Lopez and Brenda Louise from April of 2011. Ethelyn was born on August 23, 1921, in Port Alexander, and was raised in Cake. She later moved to Petersburg with their husband, Arthur Lopez, where they raised their children. She spent much of her life working at Racy Stedman Elementary School, where she helped implement and led classes and activities about the Thlingit culture. She passed away on April 23, 2018. This is Ethel and Lopez sharing stories with Brenda Louise, starting off with Brenda. Well, let's, let me ask some questions about food. So you said you learned how to do um, canning with deer and fish, and you picked berries. Um, what other kinds of foods did you learn to gather from? Around? Whenever we went berry picking with my mom and my aunt, Lucy Newton, and, oh, good, we filled up the big bucket. Think can go home now. Oh no, they're going to take off their band, head, their scarves. They'll line it with uh, skunk cabbage and pour my heart would drop. <laughs> oh no, got to pick some more. <laughs> yeah. And what did they do with all the berries? Char them. Char them? They dry, they jar them. Oh, jar them, yeah. jar them, yeah. Every once in a while, I used to eat with my mom and dad, like about on Sundays, and they used to send me down to uh, the cellar. I can pick whichever berries I wanted, blueberries, salmon berries, highbush cranberries, thimble berries, name it. That was my mom's cellar. There's shelves and shelves of them. My mom didn't have a lazy bone in her body. There's shelves and shelves of charred berries. And everything had to be charred or salted, like there was no refrigerators long ago. Salted meat, salted salmon. That to soak it overnight before they cook it. It was good. Sometimes I think about it. I think they were good. I liked them. What about on the beaches? Did you have to go and get clams and gumboots and other sea mm. things? My cousin Katie was also raised by my oldest sister, Doris. Katie Davis. It was our job Whenever any any boat was going to pick seaweed, 
we had to go and get the seaweed from my sister Doris. It's our job to grind by hand the seaweed and dry it. I used to tell Katie, when I grow up, I'm never going to do any of this. I never did, up to now. <laughs> <laughs> I always call my sister Angie and Kate. Angie, did you get any fresh seaweed yet? <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you some as soon as it's dry. Oh, goody. <laughs> <laughs> I can get away with it because I'm older than she is. <laughs> I'm going to ask about putting up salmon too. If you want to ask about putting up salmon or gear. How, how, yeah, other than salting it and canning it, did they make uh, any other kinds of, of deer or salmon that they put up for the winter? Did they smoke? They smoke fish too, right? They what? Did they smoke fish? Oh, yeah, they smoked fish. Uh, it's usually the latter part of August and the first part of September. We Everybody had their own fishing camp. Ours was uh, in, uh, it's on, I think it was on Admiralty Island. I don't remember. And our job was to pull up the salmon where it, where my mom and sister could pick it up and clean it and hand them up. Yes. We we had a gardening cake too at uh, Point McCartney. Um, my aunt Lucy Newton and us kids, my mom, us kids, we'd moved out. We had a cabin, little cabin out there. My sister-in-law found that site. The last time I was in Cake, I was all excited about it. Wow! After all these many years, as and our job when the garden was being planted potatoes and carrots, turnips, things that could keep for the winter. Our job was pulling up kelps. Made a game out of it. <laughs> it was a lot of fun pulling up kelps <laughs> from the beach. They used it for fertilizer. So they plant a, a garden in cake, and then they take you over to fish camp for the for the last part of the summer. Oh, that was different. See, it always had to be the last part of August and first part of September because then there was no flies, or hardly any anyway. I never looked at it that way. I always why do I always, why do they always drag us to camp when it's cold in the morning? <laughs> already it wasn't until long long after when I thought about it myself it came to me oh by then there's no flies so were they hanging the fish to dry doing dry fish those had a, a smokehouse a huge smokehouse 
it wasn't just a hundred, it was two, three hundred tried. And they had something, I don't know, I think it was hemlock they used to put in between those uh, dried fish. I don't know why they ever did that, and I never asked. I didn't want to ask. <laughs> <laughs> so when they were putting it away, they'd put a layer of fish, and then they put hemlock uh-huh. in between it? Mm-hmm. And what were they storing them in? The what? What were they storing the fish in? Boxes? What do you mean? What did When they were storing the fish, what were they putting it in? Oh, they had... My mom had a cellar where she used to uh, keep her jarred berries. There, It was like a bin. I don't know how to describe it. It was kind of deep. They did that. They put potatoes in and another bin where they where they put the dried fish. I think some kind of uh, leaves, I don't remember. Anyway, it used to kill the smell of the dried fish. I still see it around every once in a while. It never, it, you never smell the dry fish. You know how awful it smells, right? I still see those leaves around. And I used to like to experiment with everything. Uh, Those wild rhubarb Mm -hmm. and the wild rice. I don't remember remember what we were at camp for the one time. I picked some and I, oh, it was so good. I tried it and it was good. Was uh, wild rhubarb and wild uh, rice. The rice grows at watery places. Uh, they have those purple purple flowers that smells horrible. You pick the rice off the roots. A whole bunch of them. That was good. I always remember that. <laughs> That was Ethelyn Lopez and Brenda Louise. Up next, a clip from a conversation with Ray Dukaqua and Molly Tiber from the fall of 2019. Ray was born on January 8, 1939, in Cake, and was raised there with his brother, Gilbert. He was of the Wushkitan clan, and he moved to Petersburg in 2012. His laughter graced this community for 10 years, until he recently passed away on May 5, 2022. This is Ray Dukaqua and Molly Tiber. I remember living with my grand- my grandparents. My raised me and my older brother, and it was beautiful. We lived a subsistence lifestyle, and we put up food dry fish, seaweed. Oh, it was beautiful just living. Uh, at the time, in the late 40s, we didn't have much electricity. We had a little power plant, and it got up, and it went off at 10 o'clock at night, and we lit lamps in there. 
We didn't have, you know, we didn't know that we were um, doing it without. It was, you know, it was nice. And um, all we did was, uh, for entertainment, was play outside, <laughs> invent games, and, and um, we all spoke, we, most of us spoke Tlingit. Um, most of us grew up speaking Tlingit. Ah, I loved it. And going to fish camp was, was the high point of my life because, oh boy, my grandmother, Mary, when we were going to uh, Cape Bendel, she would steer the boat, I remember, and my, my grandpa would watch the motor to make sure it ran all the way. <laughs> and I remember my grandmother steering the boat. And uh, they made some sort of a parable about that because uh, about the woman that steers you through life, and um, the grand the grandfather that keeps things moving and and provides, which my grandfather was doing on that little boat. Yeah, so, uh, there's a. There's a long story, clinking story about that now. But it all started when, when we were going to fish camp. And when I got there, I didn't have to do a thing but play. My, grand, my grandparents put up the tent, my older brother, Gilbert, Oh, I miss him. Uh, he helped the folks do, do the camping stuff. And they gave me a little punt to play with on, in the water. Um, it wasn't very big. I had a learned seamanship. <laughs> How to be careful on the ocean, you know, playing it, playing it, playing on my little punt. Oh, I miss that. I'm 78 years old and I still think about that. I try to explain it to my grand, my grandchildren, but they weren't too interested. <laughs> more interested in playing their games. They'll appreciate that when they become older and listen to your story. Yeah, well, here's the thing, too. They'll be sorry that they didn't listen to me because I'm sorry I missed out on all the stories that my uncles told me. I was too young and foolish. I just, you know, never paid much, of, much attention. And... But we learned stuff out there we wouldn't have learned in the classroom. <clears throat> um, what did uh, you learn at fish camp? What lessons did you learn? Oh, my. 
survival, survival in the woods, uh, seamanship on my little boat, and how to build a hook, how to build a hook to catch a salmon, and sitting by the fire and listening to Grandpa talk, which was very enjoyable. And my uncle's telling stories in Tlingit. Just beautiful. I'm 78 and I still remember that. That was Ray Dukakwa and Molly Tiber. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Voices of Sitkakwan, a collaboration between Petersburg Indigenous Awareness Committee, KFSK Community Radio, and the Petersburg Public Library. Today we're listening to Ethel and Lopez, Ray Dukakwa, and Will Ware share their experiences of harvesting with family and Tlingit Ani. These conversations are excerpted from the Petersburg Public Library's Listening Project Archive and can be found at psglib.org. Our third and final conversation is an excerpt from an interview Kari Peterson had with Will Ware about his experience growing up in the Tlingit culture. Will is Tan of the Freshwater Mark Sockeye House. Born in 1973, he was raised in Petersburg by his grandparents, Billy and Martha James. He continues to reside in Petersburg with his family, and is now the chief of development for the Clinkett and Haida Central Council, as well as a local business owner. This is Will Ware and Kari Peterson. You know, my grandfather would talk about harvesting salmon, and, and, and the ways that we even harvested salmon when I was young... Um, was just different than than we do today you know and uh, a lot of it was just cultural and, and done with a a way of respect and and it was there was a reason why we harvested it that way as well it wasn't just because it was just tradition but it was because there was there was a process that you went through to obtain a salmon at a certain stage in that salmon's life i'll give you an example yeah. so we would go to a coho stream on the island and and um we would harvest um, the the cohos that were were relatively red, and um, you know they they were even and they were they were done. We we got those salmon because they were they had a low oil content, so we would make what we call dried fish. Okay. And so my grandfather would fillet them, and he would produce uh, process them in a way that was was I I think in a, in our in a non native culture they would say it was like a salmon jerky. And so, but he would, he had a process on a, on an A-frame cutting board and he would shave it and he'd call it newspaper cut. And so you'd end up with this big fillet of thin, thin salmon that he would then smoke for a few days. And, um, and he would pull it off and he would throw it into a tarp, you know, I'll say every eight hours, six to eight hours. And he'd walk on it inside the, while it was inside the tarp keeping it clean of course to break the bindings of that salmon and then he'd throw it back up into the the smokehouse to continue smoking it and so it would become dried it was shelf stable but it was like a salmon jerky we called it you know it's dried fish and then we would you know on 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 it wasn't even special occasions i'd say weekly on a friday evening after dinner we would pull it out and and he'd have boiled potatoes and we would had a little dish everybody had a dish of rendered seal oil and you would dip your your dried fish into that and 
Oh, so that's where the oil would come from. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oil, uh, seal oil was used in, in a lot of different dishes. I mean, we'd put it in with our boiled fish. They would put it in with their berries. And and the reasoning behind that is is our people had such an acquired taste for it because that was what was used to preserve our foods. So um, traditionally you would have, a, you know, even fish that was smoked um, just to preserve it and keep it for long term, obviously no refrigerators or freezers, they would put it into a big barrel or box of seal oil so there was no air being able to get to your okay. food, to your, to your meat. And it would keep it fresh so that at least could get to it by early winter. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. And that's what I was thinking. Um, my, my family is not native, but they were early settlers. Mm-hmm. And they and my grandmother, my grandfather father's family lived out at Scalp Bay and my grandmother's family lived out at Camp Island. And so they grew everything. Absolutely. They canned everything. They, yeah, they li- lived off the land. This real subsistence. But I found that they did that all the way through their life. When they came to town and raised kids in the 50s, they kept hunting and fishing. And we, I mean, right up into his 90s, for his 90th birthday, he went, you know, moose hunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and part of it is, is it's an acquired taste and a custom of a, of a flavor that you're used to. And it's it's also a security. I, my grandfather used to tell me when he'd look at our pantry full of jarred fish or a canned, we canned a lot of a lot of meats um, growing up as well. Um, he said it always looked like money to him. Oh, you know, okay. he'd look in the pantry and he goes, just looks like money. Because it was it was really the, the currency of the day, uh, you know. Uh, way back when, you know, when my grandfather was young, it was our subsistence, I don't want to say subsistence foods, it was their foods, and it was trading material, yeah. it was it was also, you know, things that they shared with other people, but it's what put, it was literally food on the table for them when they were growing up, so I understand that, you know, I we yeah. still jar, we still we still smoke and jar a bunch of our fish, and we call, you know, we have what we call fresh pack, and which is non-smoked fish, we just throw into a jar uh, with a little bit of salt, and we jar that, and there's our for our, our salmon patties and for making, you know, salmon spreads and, and things like that. Or just frying it up with some onions and vegetables, you know, it's, it's good. Yeah. So, I mean, now you probably do a little bit more sport fishing, or do you? Do you? I, you know, again, I I, I do a lot. I mean, I, I have a hand troll permit, so I enjoy going hand trolling on the weekends when I'm in town. But we do a lot of sport fishing. We do a lot of, of um I don't want to say more than most because I know a lot of guys that are my yeah. friends or acquaintances that go out. Um, but but I'll say we go out probably more more than the average to, to go sport fishing and hunting. Yeah, and I see. I feel like that's the way my family was too. Mm-hmm. I mean, my my family was always out hunting and fishing, sure. and that's what they do. So I guess I'm wondering when you're talking about your grandfather and and collecting the certain cohos, the ones that were kind of red. Would you, would you do a big trip, kind of like, you know, where it's more subsistence, where you're harvesting a bunch and processing a bunch? Or? So my, my grandfather tells a story about once a year they would head up to Port Camden outside of Cake, and they would take their entire large family, huge family, um, and they would put up 500 salmon in their smokehouse. That's a they had a huge smokehouse in, in in Port Camden, and it was our family fish camp area, right outside of Cake on the other side of of, of Ankuyu. And they would they built a smokehouse there that, like I said, would hold 500 fish. 
dogs and cohos uh, and even uh, you know pinks or humpies and they would smoke those over the process of of um they would i don't know i, I think he said it took a better part of a week of processing and they would all go out and 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 beach sane or uh, get all that salmon and then they would they would spend the days uh uh cutting them up into into strips and fillets and and then brining them and smoking them and then packing them in barrels and so um it was an interesting event so you know that was my grandfather's youth through i'll even probably say young adulthood you know um later in life um uh, we didn't go out and get 500 salmon but we would get oh man we would always have freezer fulls of of salmon and and just a a huge food pantry full of, of smoked fish so I don't know how many we'd get. I, I, it was it was probably dozens and dozens and dozens of salmon, but you know, salmon wasn't the only thing we. Like I mentioned earlier, we ate a lot of venison. We ate a lot of seal meat. Um, do you know, we ate a little bit of ducks. Do you still eat seal? I uh, we do not not as you know. I mean, it's not something that we have weekly. You know, it's it's uh, some of my boys really enjoy it. You know, um, my oldest, um, well, all of them will will eat it. It's I don't know for us, it's probably like. I'll, I'll say the, you know, the Irish will be corned beef, cabbage. Most people in town probably eat a few times a year. You know, we'll have it a few times a year. Okay, yeah. Well, I've heard that the seal oil is fabulous for cholesterol. It is. For it's very high in omega-3, yeah. but it's 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 got the good cholesterol in it. Yeah. You know. Um, and not as many people are, you know, are, are making it anymore. Um, you're starting to see some of the communities around southeast are processing it and teaching how to process it um you know I'll, I'll show my boys how to do it you know and and they're getting pretty proficient at 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 um taking care of seal and sea otters and deer and moose you know they it's something that they they enjoy and and certainly skinning out and and harvesting the the meat and the, and the fat off of a seal is not something that everybody knows how to do because it's not done very often you have to be alaska coastal alaska native to harvest it so yeah they uh, i don't know i guess they got a unique trait that they they have i don't know if it has any value other than to pass on to their kids and grandkids as well that was will ware and Kari peterson the full interviews can be found in the listening project archive on the petersburg public library website at psglib.org Voices of Sitka Kwan is recorded and produced on Hlinket Ani, the historical homeland of the Hlinket people, but also the current homeland and the land that holds their future. Thank you for joining us for Voices of Sitka Kwan. This show is a collaboration between the Petersburg Indigenous Awareness Committee, KFSK Community Radio, and the Petersburg Public Library. It is made possible, in part, by a grant from the Institute of Museum and Library Services and the Alaska State Libraries, Archives, and Museums. It is also made possible by the generosity of our participants, including the volunteers on our content committee. We thank them for their enthusiasm and dedication. To participate in Voices of Sitka Kwan, contact Kari Peterson at the Petersburg Public Library. 
Archives of past shows can also be found at setkavoices.org. That's S-E-E-T-K-A voices.org, as well as on Spotify and Apple Media. Gunakchish.